You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Rifters. This is Riffs and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast. We'll go to many 5e books and talk about various rules and haunted gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riffwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riffwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk to you about ships. Nathan, what are the rules regarding ships for 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons? Uh. They move very fast and on water, and you can you can stand on them. Okay, you got two out of three right. They are on water. You they can stand cannons. on most of them. Uh, they're not actually particularly fast though, and uh, they actually very rarely have cannons. I'm I'm sad now. <laughs> <laughs> At least by the book, Nathan. If you want to put cannons on your ships as a dungeon master, that is, of course, something you have the permission to do. <laughs> uh, no, in all seriousness, like, how much do you think there is actually talking about ships in the rule books for fifth edition? I mean, there is some because I have read the books. By no, red, red, I mean skim, 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 skim through them, uh-huh, <laughs> kind of. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I, I think I've I've, I've seen an entry about ships, so so I believe there is. Yeah. So <laughs> tell me what ships. you know. What, so tell me what you know. Like, how much do you think? What? Like, how much do you know? Uh, fuck all. <laughs> all right. So this is a kind of odd situation, in all honesty, because there's two main sources of information for ships in 5th edition. The first is in the Dungeon Master's Guide. There is just a section talking about ships, and there's some information in there that is very important that I will talk about momentarily. However, there is also Ghosts of Salt Marsh. So there is an entire book that has a whole ton of information on like ships and magic related to such and just way way more information and rules on using ships the problem being i hate the information in ghosts of salt marsh like i'm still gonna talk about a lot of it but i'm gonna be upfront with y'all this is one of those times where i have a preconceived bias against a lot of the rules is written and i will of course go into why when i do get to that but i'm sure you uh, will <laughs> yeah well i mean part of the whole point of this show is for you to just vent about the rules <laughs> i mean yeah <laughs> it's what what everyone's here for yeah so honestly we'll probably end up just separating this into you know, like dungeon master's guide stuff salt marsh stuff and then homebrew So let's uh, just go ahead then and start right off with the Dungeon Master's Guide. So in the talk about adventure environments is where all of this information is located. So that's chapter five. And there is 
a decent amount of information in here. So there's a whole category on owning a ship where it just mentions like adventurers might gain custody of a ship. They can purchase or capture one or receive one to carry out a mission. It's up to you whether a ship is available for purchase and you have the power to deprive adventurers of a ship at any time should it become a nuisance. And I just think that that's a kind of funny way to say it. It's like, I don't know, that just has like parent or teacher kind of vibes to me of just like, I can just turn this adventure right around and take that ship away from you. <laughs> like, I've got it's a question, just, though. It's like, weird. Like, like, is there any instance where having a ship would be annoying for a dungeon master? I mean, part of that just depends on the dungeon master and part of that depends on the party. Because right. there are a few different ways of how that could become a nuisance so the easiest one of which I, I is just of if adventurers just want to fuck off from the planned adventure <laughs> right like honestly as the kind of dm i am if uh, players had a ship and then they were like I'm, okay guys we've heard of this continent let's go there and i'm like i have not written a single page on this <laughs> continent uh, i have one get, idea you get stuck this in is a the storm continent. and washed up back on shore <laughs> <laughs> it's like your ship is gone forever lost beneath the, t- the sea waves uh-huh. <laughs> just like you, you come back uh two two campaigns later like in a submarine <laughs> or something and then you're like oh shit <laughs> it's down here <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah a bunch of corpses and you just described the previous party uh i mean yeah, you could just be a dick like that, but honestly, I'd rather just not. But honestly, yeah, like I would say that is the primary way, though, that a ship might be a nuisance to a dungeon master is just that anything that players own, like any big thing, whether it is like a stronghold like we've talked about before or whether it is a ship is something that can distract from other adventures just going out and about. So in terms of just whether you want players to own a ship at all is a fair question to ask, because there's actually a couple of potential problems in different directions that can exist from this. So number one, of course, like we just said, derailing the planned adventure of just like, let's go be pirates. Yeah, let's go be pirates. And then they want to try and go be pirates. And you have to figure out how pirates work in your world, because that's (laughs) not something you ever planned for. And of course, I'm saying this for Nathan's sake. You all know that I have charts of different tiers of pirates. So, and never mind. That's a separate conversation. Um, Remy is the, <laughs> the abnormal one. I, I would have you know. Hey, not I everyone is has... abnormal. I am not the only abnormal one here. <laughs> I, I, I do have to admit, I am surprisingly unprepared for most things. Surprisingly? <laughs> That's your shtick. <laughs> I mean, it is my stick. The, 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 the reason why... It is no uh, surprise <laughs> that you're unprepared for any given thing. The surprise is when you have something prepared. Anything. I, I, I just remember my whole stick is being entirely unprepared, but somehow still making it work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, but even just deciding, you know, the let's go be pirates angle is also just the fact that like, okay, you know, let's say you do just have this plan to just like have a ship to get to a place. Then there's still the question of like, then what? Okay, you get there and then do you just leave the ship and hope it's still there when it comes back? Like, do you like have a crew that help you on the ship? Like the staffing of a ship is a pretty big question, especially if you do have a larger ship. But it's just much like the potential downside of a stronghold. Any big thing that players own is a big thing to manage. So as a dungeon master, it really does fall on you to make the choice. Okay, how much time do we want to invest in managing this thing? And how much do we want to just not worry about it? Like, is the assumption like, you know, yes, if you have a ship, then you're just able to get the crew that you need and you don't need to give them names. They're just background NPCs that just cover for the fact that I don't know how the fuck ships work and I don't care enough to look it up and I'm just going to assume, okay, this thing says I need 20 people, so the boat has 20 people that work on it. Their names aren't important. They they just don't matter. They're just there in the background. Fuck it. 
And honestly, like when it comes to the actual running of a ship, this may come as a surprise, but I lean towards that way than like actually figuring out like, you know, there's these 20 NPCs that all have these backstories that all have, you know, these connections to the world. I don't fucking care. Remy. I, I actually I'm not surprised at all. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Again, like I overbuild when it comes to things that I feel build to the world and the game that I'm playing in. Like, so if you want to have like a slice of life campaign adventure where it is just like you're stuck on a ship and it just takes fucking forever just to get place to place like if you focus more on the exploration pillar of gameplay then that works in that situation but if you are just using ship as literal vehicle from point a to point b i don't fucking care about who's running the ship in that situation if you just have a party that has the gold to pay people or some means of income through just like using the ship itself i don't fucking care and that just doesn't matter to me that being said uh we will talk more about what is actually needed to run a ship real quick let let me let me give my take on the whole okay um, please actually having people have character on the ship right so let's say your your ship is staffed with um uh npcs and whatnot what i do suggest is rather than having everyone be special or have everyone be a unique character generally speaking you want either somewhere in the realms of one to three generally keep it about two of people who are first off important to the crew and secondly hold some power within the crew that way, you can have, uh, like, have, have, have it be more interesting while on the ship because there may or may not, depending on your campaign, be certain lapses of time where you are basically just spending your time on that ship. So this is one of those situations where it's more in the salt marsh side of rules and not so much in the actual Dungeon Master's Guide. That's why I wanted to save it a little, but fuck it. We're on the subject of crew, so let's just go with it. So in just ship's stat blocks in general, there are notes about how many crew members are needed, as well as just how many people total a a ship has the potential to hold. So... There is a lot more information, though, in Saltmarsh, where it actually goes into the officers of the crew. So this is the compromise version that I feel might actually be worth the time. So you don't need to figure out every single guy, like, you know, pulling ropes and just hoisting sails, swapping the just all of the various tasks on a crew. Okay, they're there. They do it. However, there are going to be important people the officers on a ship and in salt marsh they go into a little bit more detail about that to just list off like the main officers on a ship so they list off you have the captain which makes sense the first mate the bosun who is like the repair and maintenance guy the quartermaster who is about like the ship's course like your navigator basically Uh, the surgeon, ship doctor, and the cook, hopefully self-explanatory. So, okay, so that gives you six potential NPCs, unless, of course, you have the party fill some amount of the roles on the ship. So this is something that you could absolutely just mix and match, just depending on the abilities of your party. Like, if you've got a cleric in the party, then it would seem kind of silly to have to hire on a surgeon who may not even be magically inclined. You know, or it's very likely that you might have one of the party just be the captain of the ship giving the orders. But on the other hand, if your party just doesn't want to deal with the actual ship side of things, then yeah, you might just have like a hired captain who runs the ship. So it is, you know, some amount of potential NPCs mixed with the members of the party that have the necessary talents to do those jobs. So that is the way that I would honestly 
suggest like if you're going to be making use of ships for some amount of time to just use that method of just using npcs to fill in the officer positions and then they can just represent the rest of the crew so they might have like underlings who just don't need to be named npcs they're just there but anyway so going back to the actual rules though for ships so there is a chart in the dungeon master's guide that lists like the most common like types of ships that can just be used for a DD game so this is one of those kinds of unfortunate things and fortunate things at the same time in that it's a relatively short list so are there other types of ships that can exist in the world Fuck yes, of course there can. Obviously, like there's an innumerable variety of ships that can exist, not to mention, you know, different names of ships, sizes of ships, classes of ships. Like You might have ships that are more or less dirt. Like there's an infinite amount of variation that can be applied to ships because humans like people just different shipyards might build ships like differently just because of the wood that is used to make them. But fifth edition is purposefully simplified to have less options to just make it easier to run and that is both a pro and a con in this situation because there's only a few things to deal with but that also means that there are just less options to have available so again pro and con uh that being said uh there are only six listed ships Technically, there are also stats for an airship, but I'm not including that in this because that's sky, not sea. So listed, though, there is the galley, the keelboat, the longship, the rowboat, the sailing ship and the warship. And those massively vary in price from 50 gold for a rowboat, which makes sense, all the way up to 30,000 gold for a full sized galley. Which makes sense, because a rowboat is just a couple of people in a rowboat, while a galley is a fucking massive ship that requires an 80-person crew. And that's 8-0. So, yeah, more than a little bit different. So, that being said, just before I do go too much into the rule side of things, I am just curious on your view, Nathan. Just what do you think about just the idea of players having their own ship? It's amazing. <laughs> so basically the, the reason why i say that despite the how obvious it, it is to anyone who is worthy i'm just kidding um so the reason why i say that uh, is because having stuff is cool <laughs> and having True. a thing that you own that can move and there's a space that you you can like basically put shit in build shit in keep shit in is very cool for your players to have have you ever had that that thought of okay imagine having my own space that i could set up myself and be like oh i like all these places all where everything is i have all the things i want here it's great and have that in a game well that's really cool because it gives you an opportunity as a dungeon master to give your players a sense of progression and a ship is one way to do that yeah you're absolutely correct so a ship like i just mentioned is potentially quite an expensive object but it also is versatile and potentially quite helpful because we talk a lot more in the stronghold episode but just like having a place to call yours is important and as adventurers that's not something that you necessarily get. And of course, there's the problem of, you know, a normal fortress just being a place that where you just are stuck because it's a fortress. It's not something that typically is able to move very easily. So having a ship is basically having like, at least on the sea, a mobile home. And that it just creates a very strong feeling of belonging potentially for adventurers. And it's something that can very much also be the case when it comes to just having adventurers on a ship. Like if you just, you know, watch any kind of movie or TV show that just talks about ships and uh, just for another kind of modern example, like also just the TV show Mandalorian has also demonstrated this pretty well of like if you have a ship, whether that is like a sea ship or a starship, 
Like the ship is like a setting. It is a home and it doesn't take a whole lot of screen time to establish that fact. So if you want a way to just build a bond in your campaign, a ship is a solid way to go about doing that and just very easily do it. And, you know, if you're careful about how you do it, it can become just a very organic thing in the game of just like, yes, you know, this ship is home. And you know what they say, having a thing that you can threaten to God destroy it, is always a <laughs> Fuck very you, good Nathan. thing. <laughs> Fuck you, Nathan. Fuck you. Threaten to destroy, not actually. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know that you know how to pull a punch on that. <laughs> you have never shown the ability to do that. <laughs> I, I debated going down the list, but that would take too long. Anyway. Uh, going back to the actual rules side of things, though, uh, I did mention back at the start that ships are not particularly fast. And this is one situation also where the way that they wrote this, I am really not fond of because they use a different notation. Uh, what I mean by that, there's nothing that tells you the speed per round, even though you know, people like me can math it. And like, there are ways to know the formula to use. But okay, a player character has a speed of 30 feet. On the other hand, a longship has a speed of three miles per hour. So if you're playing, and let's just say, you know, something like a Kraken attacks the ship that you're on, and the Kraken has a listed speed, you know, of, you know, whatever it is, you know, 40, 60 feet, something like that. But your ship has a speed of three miles per hour. How fast is that ship, Nathan? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, that's a problem, ain't it? So what is also just kind of irksome about that, though, is that there's no really there's no need to do it that way, because like in the Dungeon Master's Guide, there is a section on travel pace, but It's just mind boggling to me that they didn't just put it in the same measurement or do at least list both or something. But the trick of it is just that to get the miles per hour, it's the speed divided by 10. So three miles per hour is a speed of 30 feet. So, okay, so the math exists, but they just didn't put it in the same fucking chart and you shouldn't have to hunt that down. So to convert from the miles per hour to the speed, you just need to multiply that by 10 or to go the other way around to think like how fast is a creature? You divide that by 10. So a creature with a speed of 60 feet would be traveling at six miles per hour, which is weird if you consider that's actually kind of fucking slow, which is a problem that I honestly have with D&D combat is that things are way slower than you think they are in terms of actual speed of motion. So, yeah. So, like, a rowboat would have a speed of 15 feet, and the fastest sea vessel, you know, which is the galley, still only has a speed of 40 feet, which means that there's quite a lot of sea creatures out there that are going to be faster than your ship, which, fair enough. Swim, swim. Well, I mean, if you're in the boat, jumping into the sea with the creature does not seem the best idea. Sounds like a great idea. Give it a hug. Okay, you first. I'll stay on the ship. I'll Just like leaps in. Larth that's never seen of again. Uh, that would not shock me. Turns out it wasn't even a creature, just a shadow under the water. But he did not. No! It's just like Larth is just left behind. That's it. That's I don't all. know how to swim. Blah, 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 blah. Blah, blah, blah. <sighs> Actually, that's an interesting tangent, though. But real quick, it's just a fun thing to think about. Like, just does your character know how to swim? Like, that'd be just an interesting just point to think about. Like, oh, before yeah, right. you get into that situation, we don't have poles. Because it's 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 assumed that all people know how to swim by the rules as written. Like it, they like they're the math for drowning and such says like but yeah you can you know swim thing, for it? x amount of time. Like I mean, but that's the thing. A lot of people now can't swim. 
like even though pools exist and you know lakes and various beaches right, and such right. there are people who live in florida that don't know how to swim because it's just not something they ever chose to learn or their like, parents like didn't choose the, the to general the general assumption is that you, okay if you live near water you should be able to swim uh-huh but outside of that like like let's say in a fantasy setting outside yeah, of that, like if you're somewhere landlocked most most people would never have a reason to learn how to swim well not necessarily because i mean to. the thing is any place where there is like a village or a city or something there has to be a source of water just for them to live and have crops and such so there should be like a river or you know a lake that's fed I mean, from underground or something right you, like, you need you, some you, amount of water to live do you think that the, the 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 prince knows how to swim? I mean, he should, because I that mean, should just be like a part of a royal's education. Is just like, okay, good. Now people can't kill you by tossing you in water. Can, can you imagine? Do you never thought of that? It's just like, I mean, okay, maybe. we gotta evacuate the royal ship. Everyone, leap overboard. They're just like, no, like they're invading. We'll just. We'll we'll hide the royals just like under the drawbridge in the moat. Like they won't think to look there. They fucking and then they just drown. <laughs> right. <laughs> fucking amazing. I love it. Uh, yeah, especially if you live somewhere that has a moat, you should know how to swim. It's just like, okay, let's put them there. You come back. It's just like two floating corpses. Oh Jesus. Uh-oh. <laughs> Why didn't you oh, say anything when we were bringing them there? <laughs> I'm the king now. <laughs> well, that's a weird way to pull a coup. Anyway, Sorry, that, was a, that, that was a tangent. <laughs> but uh, anyway, ships. OK, uh, actually, so the actual written stats on a ship. Let me just go through that chart real quick. So I mentioned that, you know, the prices are in there for how much ships cost. But this is another of those things that Again, the simplification of D&D might be considered to be a con because there's nothing variable in this. There's no like range to it. Like so they won't give us solid magic item prices, but they give us prices for the main types of ships. Like I just I don't understand the design decisions for this game sometimes. Anyway, so we have prices, we have speeds. Again, I told you the formula to convert the speed is to just multiply by 10, and that's the combat speed in feet per round. So again, you've got the galley, 4 miles per hour, so that's a 40-foot speed in combat. Uh, there is also a crew column in this chart, which is how many skilled hirelings you need to have in order to steer the ship. And hirelings is another subject that I'm just interested in. And honestly, I think that we're actually scheduled to talk about that next week, I want to say. So we will talk more about it then. But the short version is that uh, skilled crew is two gold per day to hire them. So that means that a galley with its 80 person crew would have an operating cost of 160 gold a day. It's a lot. But again, galley is a big freaking ship. I mean, that, that, what, what else can you use your gold for? <sighs> yeah, that's another big problem of D&D. And we'll see episode on gold for that rant. But anyway, so besides the crew, though, there's another kind of interesting one here, which is passengers. So passengers are the additional capacity that the ship has to carry more people besides the necessary amount of crew to control the ship and depending on just like how big the ship is that varies wildly then you get into cargo in tons this is actually kind of an interesting choice to me because if i were the designer i would have instead made it so that cargo was measured just in terms of space instead of weight because most dungeon masters won't give a fuck about how heavy something is on the ship we don't care about how heavy the ship is we don't care you know whether the ship is riding low in case of potential reef that's just not a mechanic that most dungeon masters will care about maybe one in a thousand might have enough knowledge on 
you know, how things work nautically to be interested in that angle of things. But for most dungeon masters, I think it'd just be way more useful to just know, oh, okay. Like it just has, you know, so many five foot squares of cargo capacity would be just way more helpful in my opinion, just to know, oh, okay, this ship just has, you know, just a single five foot cube of cargo capacity. While this ship has a 20 foot cube of cargo capacity, this, you know, this ship has got, you know, a whole massive, you know, second deck of open space so you can fit, uh, you know, 100 feet by 20 feet by 20 feet you know way you know just think of in terms of that measurement i just don't care about the weight anyway uh next up we have the actual damage related and combat related i should say statistics so ac hit points and damage threshold so ac how hard it is to hit the ship which i'll be honest i'm not super fond of because it's a fucking massive ship it shouldn't be very hard to hit so honestly the way that objects and like durability and all that kind of stuff works in fifth edition i am not fond of at all and that is something that i actually do have on the list to talk about at greater length about in the future so i'll not give that rant quite yet but i hate it anyway uh, besides the ac there is the hit points which again ship pretty durable like even a rowboat has still got a pretty solid 50 hit points while a galley and a warship both have 500 so yeah takes a lot to sink a ship then we get to damage threshold which is actually a pretty interesting mechanic honestly However, one that most dungeon masters, if they know it exists at all, don't fully understand. So before I talk about it, Nathan, have you ever actually even heard of Damage Threshold for 5th edition? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I figured. So, yeah, Damage Threshold is the idea that really, really big things just won't take damage from a superficial thing. like. If you poke a ship with a dagger, that is not going to do anything meaningful. Like, even if you just, like, swing a sword at the hull of a ship, who fucking cares? Because it doesn't actually matter. So, damage threshold is a mechanic that, like, big things are supposed to have, which is just, like, any number below its damage threshold just does not harm that object. So... To give a more concrete example of that, then, so I'm just going to stick with the galley for most examples, just because it's a common ship. So the galley has a damage threshold of 20. So what that means, any ship that is 19 damage or less doesn't matter. It's just a scratch to the ship and does not meaningfully harm it. Flat out, period. However, any shot of anything that is 20 damage or more hits it for 20 damage. So it doesn't reduce the damage that the ship takes. It just makes this number, so in this case 20, just a line of, oh, okay, that's how much force is needed to do any form of meaningful harm. So 19 or less, ignored, 20 or higher, actually damages the ship. Make sense? Kind of. Yeah. So basically, big things just don't take small damage. And honestly, I'm probably going to talk about this way more when we do get to that objects episode to talk about my issues with that system. But by rules as written, that is how it works. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So something with a damage threshold of 20 just ignores all damage from anything that is 19 or less. So just to slightly get into the rant, do you see any potential problems with that ship in terms of logic? I'm not as sharp as you, Remy. <laughs> well, I mean, this isn't even rules related. This is just a logic question. So let me rephrase it. What happens if you have a spell like Fireball 
mm. that is just launched right at a ship that just explodes in a 20 foot radius that would encounter like the deck, the oh, mast, okay. the sails. But it also, so you are really low on the damage dice, damage, and it's 16 right. damage. So it doesn't take into account things that are related to things that make sense that yeah. it would deal significant damage. by rules as written at least it ignores logic as a dungeon master you can say that like certain things like certain damage affects an object depending on its material which again makes sense but just for that to be the rules as written i'm just not fond of which is why i am gonna definitely go on that rant when i get to the objects episode (laughs) well more i ranted a little more than planned now but oh well (laughs) anyway so that is all of the math, at least, that is in the chart in the Dungeon Master's Guide. However, this is one of those things where sometimes a lot of people will just scroll directly to the chart and ignore the wordy bits, you know, before and after something. But in this situation, there's a still a lot more very important information just in the Dungeon Master's Guide above the chart. So it does mention in the section on crew, two gold a day at least for a skilled hireling. They also go into the fact that you can track the loyalty of individual crew members using the optional loyalty rules in Chapter 4. And again, that just feels like more bother than I'm willing to deal with, except in very specific game situations and like game styles. But anyway, there's another very important thing, however, which is passengers. So in the chart, they mention how many passengers a ship can carry. However, what if the players themselves are passengers on a ship? How much does it cost to travel on a ship? So there is a number here, but I'm just kind of curious. What would you guess, Nathan? Like, let's just say per day. Uh, um, 20 gold pieces. Oh, God. Uh, thankfully, no. No, no, it's 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 usually not going to be that bad. Unless, of course, like if you make the choice to invent like yachts and luxury ships, but that would be different. Sorry, what? Oh, like I I thought it'd be something like, oh, let's say yeah, you're taking a ship to cross continents or something like that. It's Mm -hmm. like, okay, you'll be out at sea for two months. Yeah, yes, that that would definitely be different. But they have it written here in terms of per day. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. That makes a lot more sense. Fuck. Uh-huh. Okay. So what is it? So there's two that are listed. So either... So normally, like, space is at a premium on a ship because it's limited space. So there's either just, like, the communal kind of hammocks, where just it's just a big empty space with a bunch of hammocks slung, or, you know, having a private cabin. So having just a hammock five silver per day private cabin two gold per day so that's pretty cool so adventurers are generally going to take the more expensive option right no like here's the thing I, I've, I've given it some thought right and there's some mm-hmm. like even though you don't actually get to experience the luxuries but giving showing that play showing to players that they have an option to ch- pick the pricier option and talking mm-hmm. about how, how the luxuries affect them Oh shit, that, that that gets a lot of people like, mm, yes, this is good. <laughs> uh yeah, and like we we did yeah. talk about it earlier, but just like there isn't a lot to do with gold like, to a lot of people. Like right. I, I disagree with that opinion, but it is a commonly held one. But this does give Dungeon Masters a fun opportunity, like especially because Again, there's nothing stopping you from just going a step farther and like, okay, instead of just having there be these particular ships, like maybe there is just like a cruise liner in your D&D world, because why the fuck not? Oh, shit, man. Like, here's the thing. I've 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 realized something. Even when it's fictional, feeling rich hits you the same way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, there is some serious satisfaction to it. Like... I'll be honest, like this is like having the idea of a luxury ship is something that, of course, I have done for my own world because I am a crazy person. So like so I actually have like lore for mine of just like, you know, there are some number of dwarves who are fascinated, you know, by the idea of traveling the seas. But at the same time, dwarves fucking hate not having stable land beneath them. 
So their compromise is the Dwarven Floating Fortress, which is basically just an entire fucking massive keep that is just able to just like float and travel on the ocean, but is like the most stable seagoing vessel. So it's fun because it gives me just like a giant map to play with, which you know how I love about my giant maps. It creates this fun kind of really thing. about the quantity, not the quality. <laughs> hey, bullshit. Hey, shit. Oh, fuck. I just realized. Shit, it's about the quantity. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, my uh, God. Quantity and quality. Quantity has a quality all its own. I'm rushing you, bastard. <laughs> If we can't fight them with technology, just send more people. I mean, action economy. So. <laughs> it's like, like, holy shit. Randy is like, Mother Russia. And then it's like, slap the table. Action economy. Something is, I really can't say much against that because in 5th edition D&D, Quantity does have a quality all its own. <laughs> this is um, a very uh, enlightening episode. Uh, oh, fuck you. Anyway, so yes, yeah, so you can decide, okay, you're, you know, the party is traveling, you know, so many miles. So that so this is another thing where just like the math of it irks me a bit because they don't give it a whole lot. So they do mention the fact that, oh, okay, yeah, you know, the ship has the speed. But the other thing to consider is that, like, unless you anchor the ship, like, if you have a sufficiently sized crew, you can just have the ship run in shifts for 24 hours. So unless you do just, like, have a skeleton crew, you can just have the ship go 24 hours, in which case a ship's maximum daily travel is going to be higher than just most other, you know, methods like, you know, going on horseback, even though a horse, you know, is going to run faster. It's not traveling nearly as long. Wait, I just like just as just a random question. Is is that like resting rules for horses? <laughs> I mean, yes, they're a creature that only has so much before they need to make constitution checks for exhaustion. Yeah, but oh, I see. OK, yes. But that they are able to go faster for some amount of... Yes, in the travel pace section, there are specific rules for mounted creatures. As, like, simplified as 5e is supposed to be, they're quite thorough with some bits. Yeah, yeah, there are rules for a good number of things. That is certainly true. Kudos. (laughs) I mean, that's part of why 5th edition is so popular. Like, they tried to make basic rules for the most likely situations to run into. And for the most part, they did that. Anyway, so uh, travel. Uh, yes. So if you're going, though, for 24 hours, though, OK, so even if you have like a slower boat like the sailing ship, so that one can only go two miles an hour. However, if you're traveling 24 hours, then that's 48 miles. So even if you do, you know, just have a normal adventuring party walking, you're not gonna go that far so if you do just actually do the full amounts of math that it doesn't tell you about it actually does show that traveling by ship is a very very efficient means of travel so using ships makes sense in world for the sake of just transportation shipping Like, unless you have just massive teleportation networks, like, ship really is one of the best ways to travel just in terms of sheer mileage in just standard rules of 5th edition D&D. Because, like, again, that slowest ship is still potentially able to get you. Well, not slowest. That's, you know, rowboat and keelboat. But anyway, but sailing vessel, I should say. So the sailing ship still is getting you 48 miles a day, potentially. So, okay, so let's say that, you know, you're traveling the seas for, you know, a week to go around the continent to, you know, whatever other port city you're trying to get to. Okay, so 48 miles a day, that gets you 336 miles in a week for 14 gold. That is incredibly reasonable. How, how okay? How much does teleportation cost? Oy vey. Um, that's a good question because it 
can definitely vary world to world. Right. Let's just say generic D&D. Well, again, like that's the problem is that like teleportation circles exist, which cost, you know, thousands and thousands of gold to set up in any major city. However, it is a spell that like it has a 50 gold component cost. So if you think about it in terms of like spell casting services, which is another thing that we need to talk about, like, okay, sure. It's something that you might be able to hire out like just for in terms of like cost of spell casting for let's see 250 maybe Are around you 350 you've, you've not you've not planned the taxes for um I have, teleportation but we're circles. talking about rules as written. We're not talking about my <laughs> world. Uh, I, I, I thought I was making fun of you for not having done a thing, and then I realized, oh no, Fuck he you. did the thing. Of course I did. <laughs> did a thing. Fuck. Of fucking course I did. Are you kidding me? You terrify me, Mimi. You terrify me. <laughs> I get that a lot. But honestly, though, if you want to think about like actual rules, though, I think that it might get mentioned in Eberron. But unfortunately, I don't remember the exact pricing right. of it. Because all, all I really care about is I, I'm just wondering how do the different transportation methods compare in terms okay. of price? So, oh yeah, so teleportation, it's going to be way the fuck more expensive than ships. Absolutely. Because, like, so, I just yeah, mentioned that you can sense. go, like, 300 miles. Like, okay, let me let me think of it in another direction, then. To go right. a thousand miles by ship. So, 48 miles a day, which would mean that would call, take about 21 days. So, 21 days, and it's only two gold a day, so that's 42 gold. So, 42 gold to go a thousand miles by the slower type of sailing ship so it'd be even less if you had a faster ship so a thousand miles on the other hand if you were to think in terms of teleportation you know okay you might be able to get teleported there instantly but it could easily cost you know 500 gold a thousand gold depending on like how rare it is particularly in your world so you're saying it's like taking a concord (laughs) i mean I don't know because I don't actually know the comparison of how much it costs for like actual travel by sea in our world. Like I know that cruise ships exist, but do people right. in our world actually travel by sea anymore? I honestly don't know. Do Kinda. They? Yes. So cruise like ships not do. Cruise take... ship? Oh, not including cruise ships. Yeah, like there actual. Just like I'm using own... ship to travel. They they have their own boat and they travel, yeah. but. Yeah, I don't know if that counts. I I don't think there's any f- official general official capacity for any major transportation. Generally, transportation in between islands and two islands, when it, they're not able to actually have airstrips, are the typical modern use of ships. Mm-hmm. For example, when I, I was a, um well, when I when we visited the Maldives um we we had to take boat to all the islands because all of them were too fucking small for planes. Hmm. All right. Yeah, so there are a couple uses, but it's very much a case of planes were not able to do the thing, hence of boats had to do it. Okay. Yeah, very yeah, much so a situation, a thing to fall, fall back on for a yeah. specific situation. Interesting. But anyway, ships. Ba, ba, ba. I have so many tabs that I was just trying to find a teleportation price, but no such luck. Anyway, ba. okay. So also, ship repair is the last thing here in the Dungeon Master's Guide, which is each hit point requires a full day and 20 gold for materials and labor. So if you've got a ship that took 100 hit points of damage, then it's going to need to get docked for fucking three and a half months. (laughs) I fucking despise that. Months are very long. <laughs> yes, and especially so in D from a campaign perspective, that ship is gone. Like if you just try it's, it's to get deep. it, ugh, it's <laughs> it's like worthless. okay, three three campaigns later, oh, guys, yeah. we finally have access to our ship. It, what ship? All those characters are dead now. Fuck! <laughs> it's like slaps the table. Yeah, that's the legal owner of the ship now. <laughs> Uh, they're all dead the the government has seized the ship (laughs) fuck 
But yeah, so like the fact that there isn't any like actual repair magic except for mending is another thing that irks me. But again, that's object related, so I'll save more for later. <sighs> okay, so that's all the stuff in the Dungeon Master's Guide. We have already gone way the fuck longer than I was honestly expecting on this, but that's okay. But I am just going to cut the uh, salt marsh side of things shorter, which is honestly okay with me because I don't care for it. So in Ghost of Saltmarsh, there are a lot more rules just available for the sake of ships. One of which is, well, actually, let me rewind a moment. Uh, you may have noticed that in the discussion of rules in the Dungeon Master's Guide, there is nothing that I just said there in terms of actually using a ship. There's nothing there about like the actual like actions of a ship in combat. Nothing about its initiative, nothing about... You know, its actual speed is written in the stat block. I had to do that math to do that. There are no rules in the Dungeon Master's Guide about actually using a ship. Those rules are in Ghosts of Saltmarsh. However, they're dumb, and I don't like them. So the way that it works is that each ship has a number of actions that it's able to take. So I'm just going to stick with the galley and just read this section here. So on its turn, the galley can take three actions, choosing from the options below. It can only take two actions if it has fewer than 40 crew. A uh, quick reminder, it has 80 maximum. And only one action if it has fewer than 20. It can't take these actions if it has fewer than three crew. So of the actions it can take, fire ballistas. Fire mangonels, which are catapults. Move. Okay, fair enough. So you have to choose amongst those things. So you can triple move. You can just fire ballistas. But that's weird and complicated and not written super well. You know, what do you think, Nathan? Yeah, it's not the clearest. It's, yeah, it's just troublesome. Like, there should be better... Just better rules at all. I just I hate these rules. Like, in my opinion, you should either just like, OK, fine. You treat the ship as just a being in the fight. You roll initiative for it. And uh, ships do have uh, strength, dexterity and constitution scores. So they can roll like strength checks to try to ram other ships, you know, <laughs> constitution score for their hit points <laughs> and then a dexterity <laughs> score for their initiative. So, um, Rami, have you ever given any thought to uh, s s ships with spirits in them or something? Of course! I have charts. <laughs> like, wouldn't it be cool if your, your ship had some sort of, like, I don't know, sentience? not sentience, not sentience oh, per nothing. se, but like, perhaps, you know, that more traditional sort of, like, you, you know, you know the, the ship has a soul. Okay. <laughs> it's gotten through many a bad situation. And it's protected us every time. <laughs> this old girl's been through a lot, and she's gonna still be sailing the seas long after we've all passed. And that, uh, uh, yeah, like, like I love that idea of having like the ship that people give a character to. Like sentience yeah. is cool and all, but it's not the same. There, there isn't that sort of like you know old timey <laughs> charm. Uh, so sorry, I just thought of a way to phrase it. Just like. The difference between giving a ship sentience and giving a ship soul. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because sentience is kind of like, you know, like it's a character, right? But the thing is yeah. that giving it soul, it can be whatever your crew wants it to be. And and the thing is that generally living things are very aren't very black like aren't very black and white, but things that when everyone's like, Yeah, we survived and um this ship protected us, when a ship can't say anything but when you're riding that ship it always seems like everything goes okay at the end like you grow attached to the thing and, and right. i like that yeah and like obviously that's what i was kind of talking about way earlier in the episode of just like how a ship can be a setting it can be a place that has like a very specific feel to it and like giving like that kind of soul to the location like if you are playing in a game that is just going to be on a ship for a significant amount of time, like that is something that you should try to establish. So honestly, I'm not even going to really bother reading through more of the rules for the salt marsh 
ships just because I really do hate them. Like, just listen to our episode talking about siege equipment to talk about, like, the more fun weapons, because rules as written, there are no price guides for, like, ballistas, catapults, cannons. So the rules as written don't really help with that as much as I would like anyway. And to me, like, there's two cool things about being on a ship, which is just, like, the things in the sea and siege equipment. Like, I love me some ballistas and cannons. But the fact that, you know, the rules as written are not super fun, I'm irked about. Yeah, that's another rant in that episode on siege equipment. <sighs> anyway, there is, however, one really cool section that is in Ghost Assault Munch, which I do just want to touch on before I wrap up, which is superior ship upgrades. So this is like adding some really cool magic -y shit to your boats. And obviously, as a high magic DM, this is right up my alley. Uh, downside being, this is something that is 15,000 gold extra to add one of these to a ship. So that's not great. But there is just some really, really cool options here. Uh, one that is just a very good idea in my eyes is Living Vessel. So th where the boat itself basically becomes a living plant, which lets it have like a very slow regeneration to as long as it is like not sinking like as long as it has one hit point then it regains 10 hit points every minute so considering just how insane the repair rules are like i would argue that would almost be a necessity if you plan to actually make use of a ship uh reinforced hull is obviously something that is potentially useful ever full sails to so there are actually rules about like how the wind can influence ships but i'll be honest i'm a high magic dm i don't care about what the actual wind is because magic <laughs> there is no Remy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like without without wind you can't have those ones where oh the wind isn't blowing too well today we're, we're well, gonna that's have what to ever full sails are for fuck you no no <laughs> <laughs> then you kind of have like those peaceful moments where the crew is like i guess there's nothing to do today let's just sit down and look out to see uh you sail into an anti-magic zone where'd the oars get put <laughs> you just gotta be more creative nathan <laughs> anyway honestly though there's one more that may well be my absolute favorite although i do wish that they made the more obvious joke which they don't so there is an upgrade called Bones of Endless Toil, which is, you know, bones festoon the ship with, you know, potent runes crawling across these remains, emitting a sickly green radiance. But, you know, besides the, you know, ooh, spook factor, the actual effect of it is incredibly useful for dungeon masters like me who don't care about crew. When a humanoid dies aboard the ship, they have to make a DC 12 wisdom saving throw. On a successful save, it dies as normal. If it fails, it immediately rises as a zombie, obedient to the ship's captain. The zombie gains a working knowledge of the ship, allowing it to serve as a member of the crew. A number of creatures equal to the ship's creature capacity can be animated in this manner at any given time. This is awesome. The thing that just infuriates me about it it should be a skeleton so that you have a literal skeleton crew for your ship. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so in terms of actual rules of using ships in combat, again, none of it is really in the Dungeon Master's Guide. It is all in Saltmarsh, where the ship just rolls initiative. There's, you know, the actions that it can take. There's specific things that the crew is able to do. There's you know, rules about just trying to, you know, ram the ship into something to make like both it and the ship take damage. And like some of the rules are honestly pretty neat, but I'm, I, a lot of it is just really poorly done, just in my admittedly biased opinion. So that's all that I'm going to really cover on the salt marsh side of things. So I am just briefly going to tangent more into magic and then we're going to wrap it up. So I'm curious, Nathan, are you aware of any magic items that might be relevant to the use of ships? Um, no. <laughs> OK, so there's two that I want to pull attention to. Number one is the folding boat. 
this object is a wooden box, 12 inches by 6 inches by 6 inches, that just allows you to give it a command word to basically turn into a canoe or a 24-foot-long ship. And Those are two very different things. <laughs> right, but this is just one magic item, which is honestly kind of weird. And like to this, like, and, and so like the big version amazing. has like a, a mast with a sail. It has you know five sets of oars to be able to use it. It's it, like it's amazing. No, 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 no. That, that's that. That's like okay. Let me show you this. This Let's can turn into a can turn into a tricycle <laughs> or a tank. <laughs> like what? <laughs> yeah, one of these things is not like the other. But, like, it's such a cool idea. And, like, one of the potential flaws that I talked about for a ship is the idea that, okay, but, like, when you get off, then that's not great. So making use of the folding boat mitigates that because, okay, great. Now you can just have this big box that you could just keep in your backpack when you get on shore. And that just works. Like, so it's just a really cool and honestly, it's just massively underrated item, in my opinion. But... The other one is another of just my favorite magic items, and this is just like more on the inspiration side of things. So the folding boat exists. However, are you aware of the instant fortress? Um, adamantine walls? Yeah, that one. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, I've read of it. Yeah. So basically, it is one of the more ridiculous magic items that exist. So both the folding boat and this, for example, uh, are both rare quality magic items so technically they're in the same price tier which is kind of ridiculous but the instant fortress is arguably just a better version of the same magic which instead of being like a, that wood box it is a one inch metal cube that becomes a 20 foot by 20 foot by 30 foot adamantine fortress which is insane but the reason that i bring it up here is that this shows that canonically the magic exists to do this in D&D. So there is no reason that you as a dungeon master couldn't just have there be like better versions of the folding. I, I really boat. like I really like small, like like easily carryable massive yes. things. Yes. <laughs> so like it, so it makes no, no, sense. I, I, I was thinking like, more stupid be, like, shit. Adventurer ship. Yes, I know. I'm trying oh, to no, just I was get thinking past stupid that. shit. I'm no, sure no. I, 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 I imagine, you know, like people have foldable chairs in real life. Uh huh. To actually have <laughs> like you, an armchair that becomes a one inch cube. Yeah, it's just like this is like old guy that walks out to his spot. He just puts down his magical, like, something like, like it's just like little thing that he can hold in his hand and he just puts it down like, like a fucking folding chair, okay. but it's like a proper chair. Yeah, or just like instead of the fortress, just a portable house. Exactly. Like, yeah, this is the kind of shit that I want more. Give me, the, give me who do I go to in Riftwake for that stuff? Oh, <laughs> uh, I need to create a guy. Fuck. Yes, yes, you do. It's like quir quir the quirky magic dude. We we need quirky magic dude. Yeah, just shrinky dinks. Like like it's, weird it's shit. Just, it's just a shop of shrunken things, most of which are just why. <laughs> It's like I stole this. <laughs> like what? You you stole a you stole a boulder? It's like yeah, <laughs> dude. No, as an adventurer, that'd be amazing. You toss it, unshrink it, thunk. I know. <laughs> Which is hilarious like, because no the wait, does, does, actually does has it, that as a mechanic. Like it actually wait, does has it retain its velocity? You toss it. Uh, no. I'm very disappointed. <laughs> but but again, like that doesn't mean that the Riftwake version can't. Because uh, it would be incredibly broken, but amazing if you threw a boulder, like a small rock, very yeah. fast, and it just became a boulder with the same velocity. Yeah, that, that would be a lot. That would be a you lot. You could take out entire blocks. <laughs> yeah, but that would also be the thing that, like, in a city is probably a war crime. War crimes are fun, Trevi. I mean, no, that, that's a, actually, hmm, there's a thought. Do a separate episode oh, yeah, that's on a topic. war crimes. Fuck. Is it? I don't think it is, but it should be. Well, it is now yeah, on the list. Okay, there we go. All right, anyway, that, that is a tangent. The point that I want to make by bringing up the Instant Fortress was just the idea that shrinking magic exists in D&D, so having there be, like, different qualities of, like, shrinking ships would absolutely 
makes sense to exist for the sake of adventuring and honestly just like general convenience for those who could afford it whether they are just like rich merchants or royals or adventure just what have you that would just be a cool thing to exist <sighs> in summary ships are an amazing method of transportation whether it is for the sake of people or cargo. And making use of them in a Dungeons & Dragons world is something that can be a lot of fun, both for the dungeon master planning it all out and players who can gain a new mobile home in the form of a ship. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rifts and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash riftwakepodcast. Tiers start as low as a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the monthly hangout where you'll be able to chat with the cast, and even input on Rifts and Rules topics. Find us on social media, on Twitter at Riftwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riftwake, on Reddit, on the subreddit, r slash Riftwake Podcast, and you can send us an email, riftwakepodcast at gmail.com. And that's it for today. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.